Kia ora everyone. Good to see you guys here. Um, that was just really special to be a part of, eh? Um, I just, yeah, want to acknowledge and respect Bobby, the whole Baby Jack Kino Fanal. Um, it was amazing. To me, one of the most beautiful things about church communities is we're not just a collection of individuals all trying to seek Jesus, but we are a family of people. Faith passes down through families in and to one another. And so it's messy and it's noisy and there's kids and that's how it's meant to be. Um, it's just what it means to be part of the family of God. So it's really cool. Glad I got to be here for that. Um, hey, well, look, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Colin. I'm the pastor of a church over in Papamoa called Golden Sands Baptist. Uh, we're on the far other side of the city in God's country, uh, the sacred place, the beautiful sands, the place everybody wants to live. And um, look, it's great to be back here. Um, if you're new, yeah, you won't know me, but actually there's quite a story between our two churches. Um, before I came, uh, before that church started, I was actually on staff here for a couple of years and um, BBC worked really hard and invested a lot into making Golden Sands happen actually as a church. Um, I wouldn't be here, our church community wouldn't be had it not been for the hard work, the sacrifice and the prayers of so many of you. So I just wanna just acknowledge that and just say thank you. Um, as a church community, we've grown a lot. We, uh, we started in what was called the Concrete Cathedral because um, there was nowhere else to meet in Papamoa. Uh, little church planning pro tip, if you're looking for a place to meet, in the future, I would advise you don't pick a place with concrete floors, concrete walls, and a tin roof. It was very loud. And anytime it rained, it sounded like the earth was falling upon us, like the wrath of God was... Anyway, but it was really, really cool. Um, we were there for just over a year. God's blessing just poured out. And we've had this amazing opportunity to connect with heaps of the new people who are moving to Papamoa. Like there's so many new houses going up every week. If you've been out there, you know how much change our side of the city is going through. And it's just been a real cool opportunity to be like right at the heart of that. So we've connected with a lot of people and we actually grew so much that in, um, in July of this year, we actually shifted buildings from the concrete cathedral out to this big warehouse. It used to be the old Habitat for Humanity building, if you know kind of where that was. It worked out great for us because um, it's over double the space and costs us about $15,000 less in rent every year which is really handy. Um, Bernice, uh, who does the accounts here, was particularly happy when we got that place landed. Um, there you are, Bernice. Yeah. <laughs> I like her, we hang out a lot. Um, so we, we grew, we, we've been placed there for just a couple of months now, and it's been awesome to have the extra space. But God's been doing so much amongst us as a community. Um, we also own a hectare of land out in the very, very heart of Golden Sands. Um, if you wanted to get there, you go down Teokoroa Drive, and just go till it ends, literally till the road ends and you'll come up to this roundabout and we own that hectare of land freehold. It cost us about $2.3 million and we hold it with no debt, which is crazy. Um, at this stage, we are the only church to have any land east of Parton Road. And there is going to be an additional probably 15,000 residents who are gonna be moving into that community over the next 10 years. And we're the only church with land there which is crazy. I mean, honestly, we desperately need more <laughs> realistically to meet all this huge population growth, but we're just so excited because there's such huge potential. Um, and the last thing that's been super exciting is we've actually developed quite a cool youth group 
and a playgroup that are running throughout the week. So we held a big glow night the other week and we had around 30, just under 30 kids come to it. Some from our church and some from the local community. And our youth group's only been running less than a year now. So we're just stoked at what God's doing um, amongst us in our community. We see there's so much, there's just so much potential, man. So many people, so much stuff going on, and we're just so thankful. And so I just wanted to, before we jump into the text, I just wanted to share that with you, because genuinely our church would not exist without you. Um, without this church, your investment, your prayers, uh, letting, having Craig let me run loose on here to preach all of my weird sermons and get better for over there but that's not worked out because I'm preaching revelation over there. So the sermons have definitely gotten weirder. We'll see how it works. But I just wanted to acknowledge that, um, acknowledge this church, acknowledge the leadership of this church and you guys who invested to help make this happen. Thank you. We, we wouldn't be if it were not for you. And so I look forward into the future of seeing, again, our two churches continue to work together for the betterment of our whole city. Um, so with that, can I just pray? And then we'll jump into it. Jesus, I thank you, and I want to honor this church community, um, a community that has sacrificed a lot, that has prayed a lot, um, individual members who have given of their time and their energy to help Golden Sands grow and develop. Um, God, I honor them before you, and I thank you that you have planted here in Bethlehem a community that is wanting to serve outside of their own walls, and our community, my community, is the fruit of that. Lord, I pray that you would pour, continue to pour out your blessing and your spirit upon Bethlehem Baptist, because we know that you are not done with this church community. God, it's not like Golden Sands was their last big project. There is still more that you have to do for them. So God, I pray that your spirit would fall here, that you would continue to fill them with faith and expectation that you can do the impossible. And Lord, together with our two churches, we pray for our city. Lord, I'm so aware of how deeply Tauranga still needs you. There are a lot of churches, but there's a whole lot more people who still need you. There's so much loneliness. There's drugs, there's homelessness, there's anxiety running rife across our city. Lord Jesus, together with all the other churches this morning, we pray for your kingdom to come. Let your will be done in our city and we pray that you will draw all people to you, that you will reconcile all things and that our city will reflect the beauty of your kingdom, of your truth and of your justice. In your name we pray, amen. Have you, um, you ever been in a situation where you're way in over your head? Like way, way in over your head? Now a lot of you are competent, reasonable adults who do your budgets and fill out your tax forms and you know, you're smart, you bring your shopping bags with you when you go to Countdown because you've thought ahead like that, right? So some of you are great. But some of us, have you ever just felt way in over your head? Like you woke up one day and you just wanted to have breakfast and do what was supposed to be happening that day and something crazy comes alongside and sweeps you in a direction you didn't intend to go. Maybe it was a diagnosis, maybe it was a different job, maybe you got fired, maybe you got hired, but everything seems to somehow have changed. You just feel way over in, in over your head. Something like that happened to me uh, probably about a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it was crazy. There was, there was like a miracle. Um, there were people preaching in the streets. Look, I, we got pulled before like the entire city officials. It was, it was nuts, but hold on, I'm getting, a, getting ahead of myself. Let me back up. Um, so what happened was a few weeks ago, you may or may not believe this about me, but a few weeks ago, I, I, I didn't look like this. A few weeks ago, I, I was actually lame. My legs 
didn't work. I mean, and a lot, not a lot of people know this now because I'm moving, but a couple weeks ago, I was a cripple. I've been crippled for most of my life. About 40 years, I'd been a cripple. And I'd not been able to walk. I'd not been able to move. And um, so what did I do? Like, look, you know how it is. Jerusalem, temples, trying to get on the dole when you're like a cripple in Jerusalem. They don't have like the wheat dispensation for you. Work and income is hard to get access to here in Jerusalem. So uh, I found it difficult. So what I did, I figured I need to live, but I can't work because my legs don't work. I thought I need to get money. So I need to beg. And who are the best people to beg from? Religious people. Because y'all got shame up the wazoo. So I went over to the temple and I stood by the temple gates. And if I stood, well, I didn't stand. I sat by the temple gates. And uh, I figured if I was there and I asked for money, enough religious people would come through and feel guilty that they weren't giving me money and that God would be angry with them. So I'd, I'd probably get the most money when I stood at the t- sat at the temple gates. And I picked this one gate specifically. Um, it was literally called the beautiful gate because... Beautiful. Someone was not very creative when they named it, but it was, it was pretty. It had gold and silver, and I figured it was the flashiest gate to get into the temple. And if I were a rich person, I'd want to come in through the flashiest gate. So I sat down by the flashiest gate and just begin to ask for money. And look, honestly, this day was like any other day. Any other day, everything was the same. I'd ask for money. Some people would give me money, and some wouldn't. Can I have alms? Alms for the poor. Alms for a cripple. Please help me. Some people would give. Some wouldn't. But on this day. I did the same thing I'd done every other day. And I said, hey, um, can you give, do you have any spare change for a poor cripple like me? And this guy stops and I think, oh, this is gonna go well. I might get some cash. He turns around and he says, look at me. And I said, oh, maybe this isn't gonna go well. (laughs) And he looks and says, silver and gold, I do not have. But what I have I give to you freely. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And for a split second, my brain is firing as I'm trying to remember all these things. Like I've heard of this Jesus guy, I've been at the temple. And I remember it was like only a month ago that this Jesus guy was actually dragged in. Like he'd come into the city with a big hoorah, but then a a week later he was dragged into the temple. And apparently he was a heretic or a blasphemer. They had a a big trial for him and they actually sent him off to Pilate. And I heard about his crucifixion, like he died. He died a violent death. Why is this person now supposed to be the one who's supposed to be helping me walk? I mean, Jesus had come to the temple lots of times. He'd never healed me yet. Why does he suddenly now care? But before I know what's happening, these two guys come up to me and I can hear them mumbling to each other. This one guy says, Peter, what are you doing? And the other guy, and this Peter guy's like, John, just go with it. Come here. And they come and they wrap their arms around me. And I'm like, this is a violation of my autonomy. Um, But they begin to pick me up. And I think it's going to be humiliating but something happens as they lift me up. As I rise, for the first time in my life, my legs become strong. I I don't know how to explain it, I don't know how to put words around it, other than as I stood, I was able to hold my own weight. And I couldn't believe it. I was shocked, I had no words. And then this Peter dude's like, come on, let's walk. And I was like, easy for you to say, Mr. Two Legs, been walking all your life. I don't know what to do. And so they, they lead me by the arms and I begin to take my first steps. And it's crazy. And I start, I lose it. I start laughing. I start babbling. I start crying, but not like pretty crying. You know, not like pretty girl. 
like full on ugly crying, like, ah! like losing it, losing it. Because this is the first time in my life I'm taking steps and I get to walk, guys, I get to walk into the temple. I've never been in before. Never been allowed in because I was crippled, but now I walk in for the first time and I'm weeping with joy. I'm, I'm shouting, I'm singing all these praises that I've known my whole life. This whole new world is erupting around me and then I look around and I realize something's happening. People are starting to gather. First, a few people come by and then some more and then some more and then people are gathering over here and I can hear them muttering, wait, isn't this the guy from the gate? Isn't this the cripple? Isn't this that guy who's been asking us for money? I gave him a fiver a few seconds ago. That dude needs to give it back. <laughs> he can walk. And I hear them muttering. And as this crowd gathers around, I'm suddenly nervous. I'm, I wasn't ready for this. I'm way in over my head as now hundreds of people are coming to stare and see what's happened. And I'm hoping to just shrink into the background. But good old homeboy Peter here, he decides now's a good time to have a little preach. Flipping Christians. Um, and he gets up and he preaches. And this is his opening line. I kid you not. I'm not making this up. His opening line is, everyone, do you want to know how this happened? Do you want to know how this man is now strong? It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. You were ignorant and you thought he was evil, so you killed him. But God has used your ignorance for good, raised Jesus from the dead, and he now rules and reigns. And it's by his power and his spirit that this man walks. Now, I'm, I'm no preacher. I'm, I'm just doing my thing, right? And I've never taken classes or anything. But I'm pretty sure the first rule of preaching is don't piss off the people listening in your first line. <laughs> right? I'm pretty sure the opening line of any sermon isn't the guy you killed's now killing it. Like that's not, but this is what he goes forward and people respond. More people gather, more people gather and Peter keeps going on and more people gather and Peter keeps going on and flipping preachers. They just keep preaching. Right. And I mean, it was three o'clock when I got healed, but pretty soon the sun is setting. And now there are literally thousands of people around us in the temple. Everyone has left everything to come and look at me. And now I'm getting nervous because I've not forgotten. It was only a month ago when some other guy named Jesus came in here, caused a hubbub just like this, and he ended up dead within a week. And now I'm standing at the center of it. And sure enough, as Peter keeps on preaching, I can look and over through the crowds, there's this rustle. I can see some spears begin to snake through the heads of people as they come closer. And sure enough, the temple guards are here. The Sadducees, the rulers, the Pharisees, the scribes, they saw all the commotion and they knew they had to shut it down. And the temple guards were there before we know it. And in the morning, I woke up expecting to do the same thing I'd always done. And that evening, I'm in jail with Peter and John. Now I'd always dreamed that one day I could walk, but I did not expect my first walking day to end in shackles. I thought I'd get to do a few more jumps or leaps, no, chains. Um, and now I'm in jail and my mind is racing a million miles an hour because I got time to think about it all. I got time to process it all. And the first thing that goes through my head, here we go again. Again, I've not forgotten. 
I've been at that gate. I know what happens when people get into this scenario. Literally, months ago, Jesus was here and he ended up dead. And now I'm not, I'm not someone to propagate rumors or anything, but um, I heard stories about Peter. This guy who was talking it big all afternoon, preaching his big sermon, offending everybody. Rumor has it that when Jesus was here months ago, Peter was here too. And Jesus would have loved, I mean, he probably could have really needed someone to come to his defense. And people saw Peter and they said, Peter, don't you know this guy? But rumor has it is that Peter said, I don't know him. I don't know anything about him. Someone else said, Peter, isn't this the one you've been walking around with? And he said, look, don't, don't talk to me. I don't know. I've never met the man. Again, a third person asked him, Peter, I'm pretty sure you know this Jesus. And I, rumor has it, Peter was cursing and shouting out saying, get away from me. I don't know the man. So this, this Peter is now the person who's back in the very place he was a month ago. And my fate rests on his ability, I'm stuffed. I'm stuffed. This is just where he failed a month ago. And all I can think is here we go again. The failure that tripped him up before is going to be the same one that trips him up again. We're doomed. So then I begin to think about myself and I can think, I just didn't ask for this. I didn't. I asked for some cash to help me get some food and to get through the day. I did not ask to be swept into the very center of a political scandal. I don't know what to say. I'm not educated. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not a trades person. I don't have great reputation. I'm just a guy that's been begging and now can walk. What am I going to do in the midst of this? I'm in way over my head. I didn't ask for this. And so I'm up all night, terrified. Sure enough, day breaks. I've not slept. I feel like Peter snoozed like a baby, snores, annoying. But the next day, they gather us all in the temple. And Peter and John are there in the center. And I'm off to the side here like a piece of meat, like an evidence thing that they're going to watch. And then I can see it as they all begin to filter in with their robes, their gowns. All the rulers, the, fad, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they come and they literally circle us. I'm terrified. People die like this. And then one of the Sadducees, the chief priest gets up and he looks at Peter and John and he says, by whose name are you doing this? Who gave you the authority to come in and cause all this trouble? Who are you to cause a scene like this in the temple? Who gave you permission for this? By what power have you done this? Now, if it were me, I'd play it cool. I'd just be like, yo, high priest Caiaphas, I don't know, bro. I was there. I picked him up. He could walk. Let's call it a fluke. I can go home. You save face. Everybody happy, right? Hey. Like that's where, that's what, if it were me, that's what I'm going to jump into. And I'm wondering if this is what Peter's going to do again. Last time he cut tail and ran. Is that what he's going to do this time? So they ask him the question and there's a moment of silence. And then Peter looks at them and he says, you want to know? Are we being tried? Are we being held to account for an act of kindness shown to this man? 
of act of compassion and healing to a man born lame his entire life. You want to know how this happened? I will tell you how this happened. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God has raised to life that this man is healed. Jesus is the stone that the builders have rejected, and he is now the cornerstone of all of our faith. And there is no other name by heaven or on earth by which anyone may be saved. And I think... We're dead, we're dead, that's it. He ruined it. Like again, he just insulted them to their face. He basically said, you wanna know how he did it? The guy you killed unlawfully is now back to life and he's healing people. And I'm ready for the condemnation. I'm ready for the blasphemy. We're, we're dead, we're dead men. But then I can see the Sadducees and the chief priests, they look and they look at Peter and they look at me, and they look at Peter, and they look at me. Look back at Peter, right? And I realized something is that they're stuck. They would love to condemn us. They would love to kick us out, but the problem is me. I'm standing there with my legs, standing. And no matter what they want to try and spin or twist, they cannot deny that I'm there. And so they're trapped. And so they, they kick out Peter and John and tell them to go away and they push me off to the side and they gather together in a huddle and they begin to talk. And I can hear them mumbling saying, what do we do? We've got to shut this down. This is going to come back to bite us. We're going to lose all authority in this place if this gets out. How do we stop this? And then I can hear them mumbling to each other and then someone else looks at them and says, who is this guy? Who are these people? Isn't this, he's a fisherman. He's a fisherman from Galilee. He's a tradie from the WAPS who's now here schooling us. Who are these people? And then one guy said a phrase that has stuck with me ever since. One of them said, I can tell that they've been with Jesus. I can tell that they've been with Jesus. And my brain started spinning and I realized that's what connected this whole thing. Again, a Peter who used to be this coward who couldn't speak up, who turned away from the people when he needed them most is now this brave firebranded preacher who has no fear in the face of adversity because Jesus, because Peter had somehow met this Jesus in a new way. And even me, I'd never known, I've heard about Jesus. I'd seen him come in the temples, but nothing had changed. But suddenly now I had encountered him Again, Jesus had met me. Jesus is what tied this whole thing together. And so they, they gather them back in again, and they're ready to lay down their statement, their verdict. The Sadducees, they look at the three of us, and they look at Peter and John, and they say, all right, enough. Stop it. And I'm like, that's it? That's it. That's all we got off with. It was just stop preaching about Jesus. Yeah, we're safe. Let's go. Cut our tails and run. Shut your mouth, Peter. Let's go. That's, this is a good option. But good old Peter. Good old Peter. He, he doesn't keep his mouth shut. And he says, stop. You, you judge what is right. That we should listen to God or that we should listen to you. You decide. But I'll tell you this. We will not stop. We cannot stop talking about what we have seen and what we have heard. 
I'm like, Peter, cut it out. <laughs> We're good. Then the, the leaders look back at him and say, just stop talking about it. Peter says, no. They said, stop talking about it. Peter says, no. And they said, we'll do something to you. He says, okay. And they let us go. That was it. I could not believe it. A month ago, the very man Jesus was taken and crucified because of this. Followers, everyone was terrified, but now this risen Jesus had somehow transformed it where all these Pharisees and the Sadducees, they no longer had power anymore. They couldn't control these guys and they had to let them go free. And so I follow them home because I don't know where else to go. And we get back to their house and what I see just blows my mind. We get inside, they open up the door and I see the most unimpressive group of people I've ever seen in my life. There's aunties and uncles and grandparents and kids. They were tradies and fishermen. They were ex-cons. They were like political terrorists sitting right next to tax collectors who were like giving it to the man. And all of them were there and they were the most unimpressive group of people I'd ever seen. And Peter and John go in and they share the story of what happened and the room erupts with praise. Everyone starts lifting their voice and thanking God and praising and singing. And I don't know how else to describe it, but amidst the praise, this huge wind filled the house and it felt like that everything shook with the presence of God. It was the most powerful experience I've ever seen. And I realized something in that moment. I think when I first encountered Peter and throughout the whole trial, I think I thought he was this anomaly like this weird random dude who had just pulled himself together and was now kind of kicking it while everyone else was just following him. But in this room, I realized that Peter was not a one-off. He was one of many. Every single person in that room was just as terrifyingly bold as him. Not because they were amazing, but because all of them had been with Jesus. And he was about to do something crazy. It's an amazing story, isn't it? It's a crazy story in the beginning of Acts. Now, if you're a Christian, you're, you're probably familiar with that story. You've heard it lots of times. If you're not a Christian, you'll be like, what just happened? That was weird. And sorry, everything's weird. And it's only going to get weirder the more you hang out with church people. I can't help you with that. Um, but there's this story that is incredibly gripping that I think we so easily miss because it's in the pages of a book and we think it's normal. Can you feel how high the stakes were for them? for Peter, who's now leading this community. And as I've been wrestling with this scripture, and I've been thinking about today and what, what this means for us today, now 2000 years later, there's a few things that stick in my head. And one of them was that thought of here we go again. Now, Peter is just so fascinating because he had been with Jesus a lot. But imagine for him now to be at the temple in the very place where he failed most deeply in his life in his greatest place of shame and regret, where he was the most anxious, cowardice person he'd ever been, he's now there again, a few weeks later. And if you're anything like me, often in our walks and our journeys with faith, we often get to those here we go again moments. But we think, man, I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna work harder. This time I'm gonna say this better. I'm not gonna react poorly. I'm not gonna get angry and fight at them. I'm not gonna do this. I'm not gonna go onto that website. I'm not gonna do this thing. I'm gonna be better this time. But then you're back in the same place 
over and over again. And it can be so incredibly disheartening for us, particularly those of us who are Christians or trying to be Christians, because so often Christianity is a scheme of be better. Hey, be better for Jesus. Don't do those bad things. Next time, do the right thing. Next time, do a better thing. Next time, don't mess up. But the truth is, we do. We stuff it up all the time. Again and again. And as long as we have to just do better, we will forever live under a burden that is impossible to lift. Christianity cannot be a scheme where you just do better. It doesn't work that way. And this is what's so crazy for me about Peter's journey is that the change in him again reflects that statement of he had been with Jesus. Something about encountering the risen alive Jesus transformed him. It wasn't his great preaching that got him through. I mean, Paul was a great theologian and a great preacher. Peter wasn't. His sermons were okay. His books are good, but they're nothing like Paul's. But do you know what got Peter through? Jesus. The transformation that Jesus can cause within each and every one of us far supersedes our ability to be better. Christianity is not a scheme where you just try harder the next day. Christianity is a belief system where you throw yourself upon Jesus and say, I cannot do it. Please transform me. I am not my own savior. I cannot do good enough here. I need you. Here we go again. The only way through it is with Jesus. The other thing that strikes me is this feeling of, I didn't ask for this. Man, can you imagine being the cripple there? You just spent your whole life trying to get by and now you're at the very center heart of the political establishment of Judaism in a trial. And you're not a preacher, you're not a teacher. I mean, some of you are competent and you feel good about everything in your lives, right? So you guys just go do your thing. But a lot of us feel constantly overwhelmed by everything. In your life, you may be trying to share your faith with someone or you're ending up somewhere in a job where people are asking questions about God and you're like, I don't know, I didn't ask for this. I'm not a preacher, I haven't gone to seminary, I've not had a chance to walk 3,000 Caminos and feel holy, you know? <laughs> it's okay, he's not here, he can't do anything. Um, <laughs> I love you, Craig. Uh, but so often we feel like I am not cut out for this. You ever hear that phrase, God will never give you more that you can handle? Anyone else hate that phrase? Anyone else regularly feel like they are in over their heads? Constantly. This guy was in over his head. Peter was in over his head. John was in over his head. Paul's going to be in over his head. All of them are in over their heads. But you know what got them through was not their ability. It was not their ability to put together all the wise words. Do you know what the greatest bit of influence that this, this whole story has? The thing that defeats the power of the Sadducees to run everything corrupt? It was just this crippled guy standing there. Nothing else. No words, no speeches. Just the very evidence of what God has done was enough to upset the power balance in the entire temple. So often we are in over our heads and we are consumed by anxiety to think that we are not going to be able to handle it. We're not going to be able to do good enough. We're not going to be able to measure up. We're not going to be able to know what to say. This story reminds us that that is not what this is about. That's never what this has been about. The only thing that we have is Jesus. 
That's it. As a, I mean, it sounds like a cliche answer, but as a pastor of a church, that's the only thing I can give you. I have nothing else. I can't give you 12 better tips for better living. I can't tell you how to put all your finances in order. And well, I'll try, but I'm really bad at that because I got to sort my own stuff out. You know, all we can come to you with is Jesus. That's it. But this story shows that that is more than enough. Through Peter the coward facing his biggest failure and the cripple who had no training to deal with the situation that he found himself in, the power of Jerusalem was flipped on its head simply because they had been with Jesus. That's all we have. That's all we ever will have. And that's all we will ever need is him. So I want to close um, in prayer. And um, would it be right if you, if you stand with me um, as we do this? I want us to speak, I want to speak to these two things quickly because some of you are doing fine. Life's great. Things are going well. If that's you, then just bear with us for a few moments. But for some of us here, you may be in a space today or this week where you feel like you're in that here we go again space. You're looking down the barrel of this week and you hope you're going to do better, but you're terrified that you're just going to keep doing the same patterns over and over and over again. Like there is no hope. One of the crazy things about the story is Peter had walked with Jesus for years, but then there was this moment where he encountered Jesus and everything changed. I firmly believe that for some of us today, if you are in that space of terrified saying, here we go again, I believe that the life power, like the life transforming power of Jesus is here to meet with you because he's met with me. And he's met with so many of us here. So many of us here, if we take a moment, we can look back and tell the story of when we met Jesus and how we are different because of him. If you are in that place, can I promise you that the power of God is here to meet with you in the same way he met with that man at the gate. Do not give up hope. Don't stop trying. Stop trying to be better, but throw yourself upon Jesus saying, Jesus, I need you. I need to be transformed by you. And for those of us here who feel crippled by the weight of anxiety saying I'm in over my head, that you look ahead at every week and you feel crushed by the burdens and the anxieties that are weighing in upon you as you feel like you do not measure up to the amount of demands that face you. Can I encourage you to let those things go and place them into the hands of Jesus? You are not that special. You're not that competent. You're not necessarily all that amazing. You won't be able to do it all perfectly. You won't, but that's okay. Your value is not determined by that. Your safety is not determined by your competency. Jesus walks with you. Jesus is with you. That was enough for the disciples. It was enough for the church that upset the entire Roman empire. Jesus walks with you. Cast yourself onto him and trust in him for that. Let's pray. Jesus, we don't have much. Um, many of us feel today like the beggar who are swept up in something far bigger than ourselves. Our life circumstances have taken us to a place that we were not prepared for. We are facing things that we did not choose um, with choices that are harder than we can imagine. Jesus, right now, I pray for your transforming power to fall in this room.
I pray that for the people who need to understand the hope of your promise right now, spirit, would you fall? I pray that you would lift up hearts that have been broken and crushed. People who feel weighed down by their inability to change, by their inability to move forward. Holy Spirit, right now fall. And bring your transforming power in this place. Remind us that Jesus, you can bring all things back from the dead. You have conquered death itself and you bring life to all of us. In this room, Jesus, bring your life. And I pray for those of us who are weighed down by the anxiety of not being able to measure up to the demands that we face, to the issues facing our day, to the things that we are meant to lead, the the businesses we are a part of, the families that we try to raise, we feel utterly inadequate to go forward. Jesus, would you remind us that it hasn't been about us, but it's about you. Jesus, I pray for people today that are bound down by anxiety and pressures. Would you break that off in the name of Jesus? I pray for your peace and your rest to fill this room, recognizing that our self-worth does not depend upon our ability to do things. But Jesus, you walk with us. You love us. You stand with us. And it's the story of your transformation and your power that we hold on to. And we know that if you can work through these people, these frail people in scriptures and these frail people throughout history, Jesus, you can work through us even the most insecure, terrified ones of us here, you can use to topple empires because that's who you are. Bring your transformation, bring your healing, bring your peace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.